The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Are you ready? The showstopper, Mr. WrestleMania. Degenerate into something fool. We just got tired of doing what you told us to do. That's a brace, boy. Yeah. Well, you love Sean Michaels or you hate him. It's really irrelevant. He's a magnificent athlete. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the Heartbreak Kid podcast, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am your host, Sai, and on today's show, we are taking a look at Shawn Michaels' second WrestleMania pay-per-view contest, taking place at WrestleMania 6. Now, very similar to our first episode, it's a mid-card tag team match. He's partnering Marty Jannetty, as you would expect, as part of the Rockers. Uh, on this occasion, though, they are taking on the Orient Express, the team of Patanaka and Sato, the original WWF version. Of the Orient Express. Um, there was a later version when Sato decided to go back to Japan. Um, I mean, he worked for various companies in the US for a great deal of time. He won titles in the AWA, other places as well. But he always liked the freedom to go back and forth between Japan and the US. WWF didn't really offer him that option, I suppose. Uh, he went back to Japan and then carried on working there until he, he eventually retired. The version of the Orient Express that maybe stand out in people's memory a little bit more than this one would be Pat Tanaka, of course, one half of that tag team. But Paul Diamond being the other uh, under the name Kato uh, in a mask, because obviously he's not from the Orient. And they had another match with Sean and Marty, the Rockers, uh, at Raw Rumble 1991, which, to be fair, you know, a little bit of a spoiler alert, I guess, is quite a bit better than this one. But we'll dive into that in a moment. Um, other people who may not be familiar with wrestling from this era or may not have seen some, uh, sorry, WrestleMania 6 and so on, or this match, may know Sato from other appearances in the WWF in later years. Uh, he was a manager for a short period for the face-painted Hakushi from the mid-90s WWF, if people remember him, with all the tattoos all over his body and so on. Pretty, pretty good performer, to be honest. I speak about it on chain wrestling quite often with Mr. Mags, that uh, Hakushi's always impressed me whenever I've seen him. Uh, he was the manager for Hakushi for a while, before Hakushi had a face turn, and Shinja, who was the, the name Sato went by at that point, his manager, kind of just sloped off into the background and eventually disappeared but he may be more remembered i guess for uh, walking yokozuna to the ring carrying the flag of japan um for SummerSlam 93 when lex luger finally defeated the evil japanese champion 
by count out. But yeah, still got balloons and ticker tape and so on. Yeah, Sato was uh, the guy carrying the flag for Yokozuna at SummerSlam at 93. Uh, obviously, Pat Tanaka, we know from various roles in different American wrestling companies and also randomly turning up in WCW many, many years later, completely out of the blue and then disappearing again just as quickly. Bit of an odd one. But there we go. That's the background for the guys that Michaels and Janetti are facing on this occasion. The Orient Express. Uh, WrestleMania 6 comes to us, for what well, came to us, sorry, from the Toronto Skydome in Canada. There was just shy of 68,000 people there, the WWF tell us. So that's probably not completely accurate, is it? Let's be fair. This is the WrestleMania, if you remember, that was dominated by... The babyface versus babyface main event of Hogan and the Warrior uh, facing off. Hogan was going to be disappearing for a while. People didn't really know how long for. He had films to make. He had TV offers that he was considering. Uh, he probably wanted a break himself as well. Wanted to explore these ventures into Hollywood and so on. We know now in, in the year 2023, looking back, this is something that Hogan regularly flirted with doing. And the WWF themselves, Vince McMahon and so on, were looking for their new golden goose for want of a better phrase hogan had been on top since you know 85 uh, maybe even just a touch before and well he won his first world title in 84 i guess so there we go but wrestlemania 1 was 85 here we are in 90 it's, it's a six-year run it's it's a little while for him to be on top things are starting to wear a little bit thin at times i don't just mean his his hairline obviously but the warrior was the guy that mcmahon kind of handpicked to be his next golden goose the next big star we all know it didn't quite work out that way. But this was supposed to be a kind of passing of the torch and Hogan was going to disappear into the background. So it was a massive deal. It was the first time in uh, WrestleMania history. Obviously, at this point, you know, very you know early history. It's not been around for many years at this stage. But this is the first time in WrestleMania history and potentially in WWF pay-per-view event history where we have a babyface versus babyface main event. Um, the the buy rate and so on apparently was hurt a little bit by this because people were used to seeing, you know, superstar Hulk Hogan you know overcome all the uh, impossible challenges he must face like you know, Andre Savage and all that in the past. Um, Hogan, of course, the WWF champion at this point. Warrior was the Intercontinental champion also. So again, this is one of the very first occasions we see a champion versus champion match. But again, incredibly rare, I think, especially in this time when you know it's not like now when it seems everyone is a champion of some sort. There's title belts left, right and centre now. AEW, I'm looking at you. But here in the WWF, you only had the two championships and then the tag titles. So having them both in the main event picture kind of limited i think how important some of the other matches were on the card uh we have some very important mid-card matches in previous wrestlemanias and some very important mid-card matches li literally the following year with with warrior again and savage and the retirement match and so on here it doesn't quite have that same feel randy savage is tied up with dusty Rhodes in a in a silly feud there there's not much else really at wrestlemania 6 that kind of jumps out and sticks in your mind with regards to the undercard, the main event is far better than it deserves to be with two guys who are relatively limited, especially in the Warriors case, relatively limited in the ring. It's a far better match than it deserves to be. And as a kid, you know, I, I loved it. I was all about Hogan and the Warrior at this point in my life. I thought this was just it's, it's cartoon superheroes come to life, isn't it? But there we go. Sandwiched in the middle of all this goings-on on this pay-per-view, we have a tag team contest that's seven and a half minutes long. 
featuring our guy, Sean. Uh, he is tagging, as I previously mentioned, with Marty Gennetti in the Rockers, and they are taking on the Orient Express. And that is what we are here today to discuss. Now, I'm not, I'll be honest, people, it ain't going to take long. It's a seven-minute match. And as with Sean's early WrestleMania days, especially when he was part of the Rockers, not even WrestleMania, pay-per-view days, I guess, it was a... <laughs> They kind of got lost in the shuffle sometimes. They were all, always very popular with the crowd, as it shows here at WrestleMania 6 with regards to their, the, the crowd's reaction when they came out. But they weren't ever really featured in any title matches with regards to pay-per-view contests because you had Demolition, the Heart Foundation, um, and all that, all those teams banging around at the same time here. Legion of Doom is, is joining uh, in the next sort of 12 months and so on as well. It... The Rockers never really got a foothold in the in the tag team title picture when it came time to, you know, promote those big pay-per-view events. They obviously had a title win where the rope snapped and then it was changed and so on and denied their, their championship there. But even without the, the sort of successes and I suppose climbing to the top of the tag team mountain, you could see here, exactly the same as you could on our previous episode featuring the match at WrestleMania 5, we could see here how popular the Rockers were. I mean, the women love them, of course. The, the women and the girls, they, they all love them because they're two fantastic-looking guys. You know, they've got the hair, the bodies, and all that sort of stuff. They're incredibly popular, same as the Rock and Roll Express were around this time. And their moveset was also quite unique for the time. I mean, you could see the Midnight Express, the Rock and Rolls, the, the Fabulous Ones, and all these guys in the NWA and elsewhere doing pretty spectacular stuff for this era. But in the WWF, it was big guys. It was the land of the giants, as we well know. So you had guys like Demolition and eventually the Legion of Doom. Uh, you had a, you had the exceptions, I suppose, like the Rougeos who were around for a while. But it was very much a, a power-based tag division when it came to around the title picture. Now, the Rockers kind of went against the mould I guess, with that. And it's something that Sean does pretty much his whole career because he is a smaller guy in compared to the WWF of this time, as was also Marty Gennetti. Now, the Orient Express tag team, they're not the biggest going either. Uh, Pat Tanaka is not, not much bigger than Sean. Uh, Sato is potentially the biggest of the four, but even he isn't the size of a Hogan or a Warrior or, of course, even an Andre the Giant who features on this card at some point as well. So it's quite unique seeing these guys all square off in this, this huge arena. The first thing we notice until until the Rockers make their entrance, the first thing I notice really watching this back is that the atmosphere is kind of flat at this point. Now, we've had a few matches already, and this is literally slap bang in the middle of the card. There've been before Before this match begins... There is a lot of backstage segments. We have the Warrior doing an interview. We have all sorts. There's, the, there's segment after segment after segment, interview after interview after interview, and it just feels like the live crowd have lost any momentum they may well have when this match you know, kicks off, when this match begins. Now, next up, of course, obviously, the Orient Express make their way to the ring with the standard WWF generic uh, Japanese, slightly racist theme music that they use. Very stereotypical Japanese music that they use pretty much for every Japanese wrestler they ever have. Um, and similar to WrestleMania 3, a couple of years previous to this, because it's such a massive venue, this huge dome, we have a slightly different, I suppose, challenge facing Sean and Marty on this occasion. Last episode, we spoke about Ty. we have the long narrow stairwell coming to the ring at trump plaza for wrestlemania 5 here is the long 
oil way because it's a dome show and that's the nature of the beast we'll see this in future years as well at wrestlemania 8 and, and onwards but we have the little almost go-kart buggy type efforts that have wrestling rings on them mini wrestling rings similar to wrestlemania 3 that was also in a dome and they have a guy driving these people down orient express works perfectly for they're the heels. They stand there looking menacing. Drove down to the ring. Get out. Stand in the ring. Not a problem. Mr. Fuji's with them and all that sort of stuff. Not an issue at all. The Rockers, however, it doesn't work for me. In a similar way to the Ultimate Warrior in the main event, who, by the way, doesn't get a buggy. He's allowed to run. The Rockers used to be quite high energy in their entrance. I mean, everyone's seen it previously, of course. You know, there's lots of running and spinning about and touching the hands of the fans and all this sort of stuff. And the music is up tempo and, and, and so on. It doesn't quite work here having the rockers in this little buggy, you know, electric drive along wrestling ring effort. Marty and Sean try and, and sort of get into it, waving their hands and so on. But the music is far too up tempo for the speed they're traveling at. It doesn't work. And... It's incredibly difficult when you're in a space that is, I suppose, a couple of foot by a couple of foot to show real energy. And they are just kind of stood there waving and trying to reach out to the fans and looking like a couple of lemons, really. Uh, when they get to the ring and the little rope uh, gateway at the front of the, of, the, of the buggy is opened and both guys get out the, the buggy that's taken them down to the ring. And they start running around the ring then and jump up on the ropes as they used to do with their entrance normally. All of a sudden, it feels a lot more natural. It feels a lot more as it should. So maybe those buggies, I can appreciate it cuts out long-winded entrances. You have a certain amount of airtime, of course, and so on. But at the same time, it doesn't work for everyone, I don't think. Marty Giannetti starts the match. And as always, as you'd imagine in these tag team matches, you have the babyface team in charge for a period before the heels take over. And then we can... You know, tease the hot tag before we eventually get it it's a pretty straightforward uh, story to tell it's a pretty straightforward sort of script to follow for want of a better phrase uh Gennetti shows off a great power slam at one point looked really really good the rockers then display some of their more uh, i suppose rule stretching rule bending double team tag team action which is what they're famous for and the, the thing that stands out here in this match that I suppose you really sort of pick up in this era of, of the, the WWF with the Rockers is how how in sync they are of each other. Both of them do a kip up, a nip up at exactly the same time. They jive over the top rope at exactly the same time. They're coming off uh, the top rope to the to the canvas at exactly the same time. Everything is is just perfect symmetry, and it looks superb seeing these two guys doing this sort of thing. Um, I think back to. The likes of the Rock and Roll Express, who who the Rockers, formerly obviously known as the, the Midnight Rockers, patterned a great deal of themselves over. And then following on from the Rockers, we have the likes of the Hardys, and then eventually we get into the likes of the Motor Machine Guns and then the Young Bucks. I think there's a definite line you can follow with regards to tag teams working in this certain way, influencing each other. And I look at the Bucks now, who, whether you like them or don't, I mean, there's a lot of faults to them, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I, I'm, I do enjoy a Young Bucks match. Again, like I said, there's a lot wrong with it, but we'll get into that another time. I think you can trace the way the Young Bucks work back through the likes of the Hardys and, and the Rockers and the Rock All Express, right back to the early days and so on, and see how tag wrestling has evolved and, and all that. And I love tag wrestling when you see teams working together like the Rockers do here, which, which is great. Uh, Marty gets sent towards the ropes. 
and Mr. Fuji, not for the last time today, uses his cane as he hooks the top rope, uh, low bridges Janetti on the rope, Janetti falls out of the ring, hits the floor, um, and that's how the Orient Express kind of take control. Fuji hits Janetti with the cane on the outside as well. Uh, he's sent back into the ring and the Orient Express beat up Mike Jesse for a period before he kind of flips out of a back body drop, which is quite a spectacular looking moment. Michaels is in and we see a double super kick. So, you know, here we are some, I guess, what was it 30 odd years before the Young Bucks? <laughs> it's been around for a little while, kids. But yes, we see the double super kicks from the Rockers. Michaels, who is now the legal man, gets sent to the ropes. And we get somebody from the outside interfering again as Tanaka lands a high kick on the back of Michaels' head as he's bouncing off the ropes to come back towards his opponent. Michaels' selling here is superb. I don't know if he legitimately was caught and it hurt or if his selling is just that good. But it looked, it looked as realistic as you would expect and as, and as you wish. Uh, there's a pretty impressive flying forearm by Tanaka. A knee from the top rope by Sato, which is quite cool. And then it all gets slowed down when Sato applies a nerve hold. Anyone who's listened to Nitro Nights, where Scottish Danny and I go back through WCW show by show, or anyone who's listened to me on Chain Wrestling Live with Mr. Mags, again, all via the SJP World Media Network, will know that I hate the nerve holds. They're bollocks. They are absolute nonsense. But there we go. Uh, Sean fights back from this. And he hits Tanaka with a clothesline, which Tanaka adds a kind of flip to, a kind of backflip effort in his selling. Looks incredible. Makes this clothesline look like a JBL clothesline from hell from Shawn Michaels. Fair play for you know, Pat Tanaka working very, very hard there to try and make his opponent look good. Uh, we get the hot tag to Marty Giannetti. And then, you know, Giannetti's in and he's, he's, he's clotheslining people and the crowd are going wild for him. Michaels recovers. They come back in. There's a lot of double teams again. Before we get the opportunity for that double fist drop from the top rope, which was, of course, the Rockers' finisher of this time, Janetti gets caught by Mr. Fuji again with the cane. He's on the top rope, ready to deliver the fist drop. And Fuji on the outside hits Janetti with the cane. I mean, barely, barely scrapes him. It's just a tiny little tap to Janetti's ankle. The referee is standing right there, looking right at it, and does nothing. So that makes him look pretty ridiculous as well. Uh, Janetti drops down to the floor, chases Fuji around with Fuji's own cane. Fuji has dropped this cane by this point. As he's doing this, Sato is kind of hiding around the corner with a handful of the powder, the salt or whatever it was that Mr. Fuji used to use on a regular basis. Think back to Bret Hart dropping the title to Yokozuna at WrestleMania 9, for example. Uh, Janetti gets a face full of this powder. <laughs> There's probably a joke there somewhere. Janetti with a face full of hater, but it's a bit easy going, isn't it? I'll leave you to make your own mind up on that one. Um, Janetti can't see. He's staggering about all over the place. He takes a tumble over the crowd rail and lands in the front row. And a couple of young kids are there and so on. And the way Janetti sells this and then takes that tumble is fantastic. It's really, really good work for Marty Janetti. It's really good stuff. Uh, but that basically leads to Janetti being counted out. And that's the end of the match. The Orient Express win via countout. It's it's a decent match. There's there's enough there to keep me entertained. I mean, it, it's 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 you know seven seven and a half minutes long. There's not masses to it. The heels do a good job of making the baby faces look good, 
Michaels and Ginetti again, they're high energy. The kids love them. They're entertaining enough for the for the men, and they're you know handsome enough for the ladies. They're they're a popular tag team. It's it, it's possible. It's possible, but very similar to last time out here on the Heartbreak Kid podcast. It's just a mid card match with not much story. It's just a mid card match with not much going on. And I understand they try and fill these big WrestleMania cards up as best they can, but yeah, it's it, the finish itself. Did, I mean, even though Gennetti did do very well in the way he sold this, very believable selling by Gennetti. It is a bit of a nonsense finish as well. It's not clean, and even and even then, they've got an out. The Rockers for Gennetti to be pinned. He's got this, you know, he can't see and so on. But then for it to be a count out as well, a little bit on the ropey side. Um, if people are interested in my ratings, out of five for this one, I'm I'm gonna go mm, probably a two. Again, it's decent enough. You can go back and watch it. It only takes you seven minutes, and there's enough going on to entertain you. But I wouldn't rush back to watch it again because there's nothing that really stands out. So there we go. Uh, next time on the Heartbreak Kid podcast, we are sticking obviously with WrestleMania because that is our format. We're going through all of Sean's WrestleMania matches in order, one by one, week to week, show to show. Next time out is WrestleMania 7, and we have the Rockers taking on the team of the Barbarian and Haku, uh, the opener. Well, not the opener, it's kind of dark matches, but the, the pay-per-view opener for WrestleMania 7. So it's another tag match, uh, the last one, because obviously at WrestleMania 8, Michael's has gone solo by then. Uh, this one goes a little bit longer, it's ten and a half minutes. So it'll be interesting to see what we get from that. Um, with regards to this match, not really having much going on with it, with, for the WrestleMania 6 one against the Orient Express, it's kind of summed up, I guess, by what Sean has in his autobiography about this particular contest. And that's absolutely nothing. He barely mentions it. He, he says we wrestled the Orient Express at WrestleMania, and then he moves on, as I kind of think we should. But there we go. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you do enjoy anything I put out there podcast-wise, please check out SJP World Media on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Spotify, or your other podcast players, platforms, and providers. There's plenty of my content and my shows on there, as well as loads of other shows as well involving some fantastic content creators. Tyler Peters doing Tyler's takedowns every week, looking at wrestling from the modern era and the past. Uh, we have Scottish Danny checking out some fantastic stuff. Dan Griffin out there with Matt Willis and Con. McCabe doing the volley looking at Premier League football and so on also with regards to Dan Griffin the Doctor Who pod as well that I'm very very fortunate to be able to sit down and talk Doctor Who with Dan I mean there's just so much going on so much going on at SJP World Media you really need to be making sure you are subscribed to the network on all the social medias you can at SJP World Media and of course your podcast player platform and provider there okay uh, there we go as always thank you for listening <laughs>